Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Vineyard Church, Woodstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Riverside. Good morning. We're continuing our series on Hebrews today. We've had two talks already, the first by Jake, where he spoke about the background um, and sort of what we know about Hebrews. Uh, One of those things which I would like you to just remember this morning is that this was written to a group of Jewish Christians. So they had a whole tradition and culture of uh, the Old Testament that really come through the Hebrew passages. Simon then followed on with a talk about Jesus being greater than the angels, that he is greater than any message we could hear. And to our modern ears, that can sound a bit strange, the fact that Jesus might be um, compared to angels in the first place, but actually it was very, very relevant to the people at the time. Um, It also uh, ended with uh, an encouragement for us not to drift from Jesus, from the core part of our faith which is Jesus and that's what I would like to focus on today Um, and the reason that we shouldn't drift is because of what Jesus has done for us and that is incredible and I hope that by the time you finish listening this morning you'll be inspired uh, again and afresh about what Jesus has done for us. So I'm about to read the passage that we're going to be looking at today and As I mentioned earlier, this book is written to Jewish Christians and there are a lot of Old Testament quotes going on. And to us, that can seem a bit irrelevant, sort of thinking, why why is that there? I I don't get the point that it's making. But to the Jewish people at the time, that would have meant a lot. There would have been a whole understanding behind that phrase. It's a bit like an in joke, I kind of like to imagine. So if I said to you the phrase, Joey doesn't share food, I imagine a lot of you would understand exactly where that came from. You might even be able to tell me the episode number. And if you don't know where that's from, you should watch Friends. Um, It is a brilliant show. Um, But there's a quote that leads to a whole level of understanding um, and culture just from seemingly strange words. And that's something that's quite helpful to remember. I'm not going to be able to explain the relevance of each of these passages because that's a big big thing and it may need someone a bit wiser than me to do that but I do recommend you go away and start digging in to what those verses meant in the Old Testament context because it really does bring this book to life. So these quotes that they're using from the Old Testament it's almost like a lawyer using a law that they're backing up their point with and the point that the author of Hebrews is making is that Jesus is greater than any other message we may hear, that we shouldn't drift away from him because of what he has done for us. So just to help, maybe help this to be a bit more understanding, I've highlighted the Old Testament quotes in yellow for you. So this is where we're starting. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. 
So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here I am and the children that God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death, he may break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So what did Jesus do for us? I'd like to break it down a little bit from the passage that we've just looked at and put it more into our context and extrapolate that a little bit. So what makes Jesus greater? Why can we confidently say that? This next passage is written to Christians, but it still dwells on the good news. And so often I find myself, and I wonder if you do as well, sitting back when the gospel is preached and kind of just praying for people who don't know Jesus yet and thinking, right, I've got this, I've made my commitment, I don't need to listen to it. Not because you don't care, but because it kind of doesn't feel that relevant anymore. But what we can learn from Hebrews is that even though we may have a faith, we may be Christians, we may be passionately serving Jesus even while we're suffering, like the Hebrews, we need to take the time to remember and to think about and to really actively understand our salvation. And that's a bit of a Christian easy word, salvation. Um, And I'm going to do my best to try and explain that in more understandable words. So let's have a look. The first thing that Jesus did for us is that he saw our pain and the consequences of our actions. He notices us. God notices us. He sees where we've missed the mark and where we haven't lived up to who we should be. He sees where others have missed the mark and not lived up to who they should be. He sees the pain that we feel because of that, the suffering that we feel because of that and the consequences that will come because of that. He sees it and he understands it. He didn't just see it and understand it and leave us to it. He became fully human to rescue us. He had a full understanding of where we aren't who we should be. And yet... He dove right in, he understood the pain and he still became a part of it. He didn't judge us for not living up to who we should be. He became one of us and he got right in the middle of the pain and the mess that we and others have created. He then took on our consequences and felt every moment. He took that from us. And I think sometimes it's difficult to connect with this 
but we all know that we aren't exactly what we should be. We've all had that moment where we've messed up and we've definitely had a moment where we've been hurt by someone else who has messed up and there are consequences to that. Jesus took those consequences. He didn't just see us mess up, get involved in fixing it and then take the consequences away from us and then leave us to it. He actually made us a part of his powerful family and that's why Hebrews says that we are called brothers and sisters. That's why it's such a point in this passage because it's not like we were just fixed and then abandoned and kind of with an eye roll, fine, you're fixed now, off you go, live your life. No, I fixed you. I love you. You're a part of my family. Knowing everything I know about you, I want you to be in my family. And it's a powerful family. And it enables Jesus, God, the Trinity to give us authority over things. So not only does he know where we've messed up and he fixes it and then he wants to still be around us, but he then trusts us afterwards to make the right decisions because he knows that the same power that enabled him to take our consequences is the power that will enable us to live up to who we should be in the future. That's amazing what he has done for us. These things that I've just listed, they are the acts of a completely humble person taking the fall for people that he loves because he is love. And that is what makes him greater than anything else. Jesus said in John, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And of course, he was talking about what he does for us here. So I hope that's helped you to understand a little bit more about what Hebrews is saying. It's really dwelling on the fact that Jesus has rescued us. And it uses words such as atonement and high priest, and they're very culturally relevant words to Jewish Christians, but they're very difficult for us to understand because there is a lot of intellectual background that we need to sort of dig into to understand them. So I have found a video that explains this far better than I could, um, and it's incredibly visual as well. So I think it'd be worth looking at that. Now, if you're a Christian, I hope that this gives you an idea of an aha moment. Oh, that's what that means. And I hope that it really fleshes out for you some of these words that we get used to, but maybe don't fully understand the meaning of. If you're not a Christian, this may confuse you even more. It may answer some questions, but it may well raise some more. And I really encourage you, if you have questions, ask them. Find someone you trust. Find someone within the church that you can ask the question to. Even if that means emailing into Riverside, ask the questions that you have. And if you're a Christian and you're asked a question you don't know the answer to, it's absolutely fine to admit that and say, do you know what, I don't know that, let me find out and I'll come back to you. It's so much better to do that in my opinion than to blag because some of these things are really complicated and on the spot it's very difficult. So please watch this video, pay attention and I really pray that it will give you some aha moments. We all long for the world to be good. 
for people to live in peace, act with love and justice. But there's a problem. Something compels us humans to constantly wreak havoc and destruction instead, and we call this evil. And from the Bible's point of view, evil ruins things in at least two ways. There's a direct effect of our evil, like when someone steals from another person, they've created injustice. Yeah, therefore, you know, they owe something to make it right. But there's another indirect effect of evil, because they've also ruined the environment of the relationship, creating a lack of trust, there's emotional damage. It's like vandalism, and they need to make that right, too. Now, many people believe, hey, God is good. He should be the one to just get rid of all the evil in the world. But let's be honest. I mean, the evil that I see everywhere out there, it's the same evil that's inside of me. We have all contributed, and and we keep doing it. And so this kind of puts us in a bind. If God's going to rid the world of evil, he'll have to get rid of us. And this is what's so remarkable about the story of the Bible. This God is so good that not only is he going to rid the world of evil, he's going to do it without destroying humanity. So how is he going to do that? Well, early in the story of the Bible, we're introduced to this practice of animal sacrifice, which I know, it seems weird to us, but for the Israelites, it was a very powerful symbol of God's justice and of his grace. So remember, I'm a contributor to the evil that's in the world. I should be removed. But God is allowing this animal's life to be a substitute. It's symbolically dying in my place. And the biblical word for this is atonement, which means to cover over someone's death. But there's a second part to this ritual. Remember, evil also causes this relational vandalism. And in the Bible, this idea is described as polluting or defiling the land and making it unclean. So the priest would symbolically wash away the vandalism by sprinkling the animal's blood in different parts of the temple. So the animal's blood is cleaning things? Well, remember, this is a symbol, and it's a symbol that we're not used to. The blood represents life. And the sprinkling of the blood is this representation of how God is cleaning away these indirect consequences of evil in their community. In the Bible, this process is called purification. And so the temple and the land now become a clean space where God and his people can live together in peace. So this ritual makes things right between Israel and God. And more than that, the Israelites experience God's love and his grace through these symbols. And by being forgiven, ideally, this would compel them to become people of love and grace too. Right, that's the ideal, but it wasn't always happening. Right. So the prophet Isaiah, for example, he talks a lot about this. He opens his book by saying that the continual sacrifices of the Israelites had become meaningless because they were also allowing great evil in their midst, ignoring the poor and the oppressed. Even the Israelite kings were distorting justice. But Isaiah looked forward to a day when a new king from the line of David would come and deal with evil, but in a surprising way. The king would become a servant. And not just serve, but also suffer and die for the evil committed by his own people. And his life would be offered as a sacrifice. And this is the promise Jesus believed he was fulfilling. He's the king of Israel suffering and dying on the cross. In fact, Jesus himself used Isaiah's words when he said that he came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And that word ransom refers to a sacrifice of atonement. And so all over the New Testament, we hear about how Jesus' death was an atoning sacrifice for us. 
it covered the debt that humans owe God for contributing to all of the evil and death in his world. But the New Testament authors also talk about Jesus' death as providing purification. And so we hear about Jesus' blood as a symbol of his life, having this ability to wash away the vandalism that evil has caused in us and around us so we can now live at peace with God. So that's the meaning behind Jesus' death. But there's more to the story. Yeah, the New Testament makes this powerful claim that Jesus' death was not final. He rose from the dead. And so he's the sacrifice who broke the power of death and evil, which means that he lives on to offer his life to anyone who will accept it. He is the perfect sacrifice to which all the previous sacrifices were pointing all along. So because of Jesus, the early Christians stopped participating in the ritual of animal sacrifice. But they were given new rituals. There are two that Jesus taught his followers to perform. The first is called baptism. Just as Jesus died, so going into the water becomes this personal connection you now have to his death. And in coming out of the water, you, so to speak, come back to life with Jesus. So baptism is the sacred ritual that joins your story to Jesus' death and his resurrection. The second ritual is called the Lord's Supper which is a reenactment of Jesus' last meal with his disciples. And he used bread and wine to portray his coming death as a sacrifice. And so now, followers of Jesus, they take the bread and the cup regularly to remember and to participate in the power of Jesus' death and in his life. So these rituals, they remind us of God's love and encourage us to live a life of love and grace. But they do more than that. They connect us to a new life source— The very power that brought Jesus back from the dead is the same power that can deal with the evil in our own lives and transform us into people who lead lives of love and peace. So often we can feel that God is a distant and judgmental God. Looking down at us, with his arms folded, rolling his eyes. Well, of course you're miserable. You shouldn't have watched that TV programme with all those swear words. Well, what do you expect if you find yourself here when you've done that? You've made your bed, go and lay in it. And that's the message that sadly a lot of people hear from some Christians. But that is not the God that Hebrews is talking about. That's not who God is. The God that Hebrews is talking about is a God that sees us, that notices us and pursues us. He becomes fully human. He feels every part of the consequences that we deserve so that we don't have to. And then embraces us, makes us a part of his family and gives us authority and trusts us with things after that, even knowing exactly how we can mess up. In preparing for this talk, I read a book by Bishop N.T. Wright called Hebrews for Everyone. It's a really helpful tool of explaining some of these passages because the author has a really good understanding of the background and and the cultural relevance. And he explains it in a way that I found quite easy to understand. And he tells a story of a brother in a film that he had watched. And in this film... An older brother saw his younger brother making some very 
tough decisions, bad decisions, being pulled in different directions. And the older brother could see where this was going to end up, that it was going to end up with the pain um, and harm of the brother. And even though the older brother loved his younger brother, there was nothing he could do to stop it. And sadly, in the film, the younger brother does die and the older brother isn't able to rescue him. And after explaining the film that he had seen, N.T. Wright says this, and I'm going to take it and just read it because it is such a good explanation. The point is that Jesus, the older brother, could and did come to where his siblings were, wallowing in the land of sin and death. He identified with them, shared with their fate and thereby rescued them from it. This passage encourages us to see Jesus not as the kind of older brother whom we resent because he's always getting things right and being successful while we're always getting things wrong and failing, but as the kind of older brother who, without a trace of patronising or looking down his nose at us, comes to find us where we are out of sheer love and goodness of heart and to help us out of the mess. That's what Jesus has done for us. And that is why Hebrews is encouraging us as believers not to drift away, not to give up, but to persevere, to keep chasing after this amazing God-man who felt every moment for us. It's so easy to get accustomed to what he's done and to become blasé about it or cold about it. I know sometimes I think well, Jesus kind of knew what he was getting into. Was it really that bad? Could he have protected himself from the pain? Like, he knew what was coming. I believe he understood what he was getting into. But just because you understand something doesn't stop it being painful. I recently became a mum, and I understood what was involved in having a baby and giving birth. And don't worry, you're not going to get a scary birth story, I promise. But I understood what was to come. I knew why it was happening and I'd committed myself to that. But it did not stop it hurting in any moment because I'm a human and humans feel pain. Jesus understood what he was getting into. He was fully human though. And he will have felt all of the physical pain of taking our consequences. And he would have felt all of the emotional pain of taking our consequences. And that last part of Hebrews dwells on the fact that because he understands what the consequences of our actions feels like, and he took that pain and punishment, he can help us in the future. So an encouragement to you if you're suffering, Jesus understands that emotion, so don't hide from him. He gets it. He's felt it and he is there for you. As we're just finishing now, I'd really encourage you to think, if you are a Christian, when did you first realise what Jesus did for you? And if you don't have a dramatic conversion, can you think of a time when it really dawned on you the amazing mercy and kindness and love that Jesus showed us in becoming fully human to save us and I wonder have 
any of you, and I think it's probably true of most people, myself included, have you ever drifted away from the passion that you had when you first understood what he did? Because the point that Hebrews makes here is that the way we don't drift, the way that we keep pursuing God and persevering in our faith is to remember what he did, who he is and why he is greater. So as we listen to the ministry song, please do take the time. I know it's tempting sometimes to hit pause and get on with your Sunday or whatever it is that you're doing as you watch this. Please just reflect for a while. Ask the Holy Spirit to reignite that part of you that was so excited, so passionate for the one who rescued us. And if you're not a Christian yet and you've got questions, please ask them. And if this is the moment that you think, I get it, I get it, I want, I want to do this Christian thing, I want to follow this Jesus person, please, please get in touch. Find a Christian and tell them. Come into Riverside. Don't let this spark of understanding go without doing something about it. You will not regret it. So I'm just going to pray now. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for taking the consequences of where we and others haven't lived up to who we should be. We will never fully understand what it is that you've done for us. But your Holy Spirit can help us. So I pray now that each person listening to this that you'd come near to them, that you'd explain again to them what you have done. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or find out about Riverside Vineyard Church Wixville, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.